So we're looking at chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. Uh, We're looking at verses 11 to 21 here. So I'm going to go and read the passage for us. It says this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what you are is known to God, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This passage has played a a large role in my life, mainly because uh, of a camp that was greatly influential in my uh, journey with, with Jesus. Um, it was a place called New Life Ranch. Uh, it was in eastern Oklahoma. I spent many, many, many summers uh, there and, and over multiple weeks and, and sometimes as a camper and sometimes as a leader uh, and, and sometimes on retreats. I've been, I've been there for multiple reasons. I've been back to visit out of nostalgia's sake, just to see and to actually to show Christy uh, the, the place because she hadn't grown up knowing it, and it was so important to me. I wanted to just show her, just say, like, this was an important place to me, um, and, to, and to show that and to share that with her. New Life Ranch has been a huge influence in my life and in the lives of hundreds, probably thousands of children in eastern Oklahoma and western Arkansas over the past, uh, they've probably been operating over 100 years now. Um, praise God, there are many camps like that around our nation that, uh, that are devoted to preaching the gospel to children over their summer break, to give them a chance to have fun uh, and also to hear the truth of the gospel, the, the thing, the very most important thing that we need to hear. And their motto, their, uh, their motto verse, I guess, was this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. New life ranch. That's what it was about. It was about new life. It's about that fundamental 
key moment in your life as a follower of Jesus where you have turned to him and say, no, I don't want the old me anymore. I want the new. I want the new life that God has for me. And he has that for each of us. So it's called New Life Ranch because many a child, many a kid, many a grown-up came to that place and realized that there's something bigger to this world than the kingdoms that we are building on our own. Rather, there is a kingdom that God has built for us that we can step into because of Jesus. I think one of the cool things about that place is that it was removed from cities. It was, you know, it was a camp, you know, so there's a lot, you're in nature a lot, and, and you just saw the splendor of God. You saw more stars than you ever would in, in the cities that you would be in, and you, you got to go crawl around and, and dig in the dirt and, and go hiking and biking and, uh, and swimming in ponds and creeks and stuff and, you know, and camping out like you are in touch more with what God just has provided for us in the simplicity of our world. And so um, it was a wonderful place to realize that God has a kingdom for us, a place for us, and it comes through Jesus. New life ranch, this new creation is what we're talking about today. Uh, the key verse, obviously, in this passage is that, verse 17 if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There was something that you were. It was the old thing. It was the old man. It was the old desire. And it has passed away when you have placed your faith in Christ Jesus. And now you are standing new in a new righteousness that God has bought for you on the cross because through Jesus This new creation has uh, changed us from something we were into something we are. And so today we're going to look at a couple things that we were and, and respectively a couple things that we now are if we have placed our faith in Christ. Um, this new creation that, that God has given us in Jesus, I think the text will show us that it has given us a new motive in life. And it has given us a new message in life to share. A new motive and a new message. Um, so let me show that to you as I see it. Verses 11 to 15, again, uh, say this. God has given us a new motive in life. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God. I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. You might have caught that in verse 12. There is a group of people that is boasting about what is seen rather than what is unseen. They're boasting about what appears on the outside rather than what is on the inside. You see, the old man, the created man, the broken man, the fallen man, is in love with appearances. He's in love with appearances. He's in love with what he can see with his eyes, what he can touch with his hands, what he can feel. 
The old man is in love with appearances. In 2 Corinthians particularly, there's a group of people that is caught up on what it appears to be, what, what appears as success. And they're challenging Paul because Paul does not appear to be having much success. As Paul over and over and over again throughout 2 Corinthians proclaims the suffering and the, uh, the hardship and the circumstances that he is facing for the gospel, they are looking at him and saying, you are not successful, Paul. In fact, you might not even be an apostle because the way you're being treated. This is not a good thing. And Paul is saying exactly the opposite. He's saying, actually, I will boast in these sufferings and I'll boast in these circumstances because in these things, God has made me new, is making me new, is proclaiming his truth. He says, I have died to my love of appearances. Paul, of any people, once loved appearances. In Philippians, he goes at great length to, to declare his pedigree in uh, the Jewish faith, showing us that he is uh, the, the most righteous of Jews, the most Jewish of Jews there is. And he concludes that run of uh, dialogue by saying, I count all that as dung. It's poop, okay? Like, it's worth nothing. And he, he says, I count all those good deeds as rags. These things that are appearances that are, we, are, we are keeping up are not what is important. What is important is what God is doing inside of us. Verse 12, again, that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. See, the old man was concerned with a love of appearances. And the new man is concerned with a love of the truth. Now, now can a, a true and pure and fruitful heart look like an appearance of success? Yes, it can. But can a true and pure and loving heart also not look like success? I think Paul is saying to us, yes, it can. It's not defined by the world's understanding of what success is. It's defined by an obedience to what Christ has called us to. So Paul says, he goes on and says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. That is, if we look crazy, glory to God. It's for the Lord. Okay, that's what he, if, so we're beside ourselves. If we're crazy looking, then praise God for that. It is for God. And he says, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. If it appears that you're receiving from us, then, then that is something God intended for you. And then he goes on to say in verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Paul shows us what the, the, the truth that we have stepped into. We've gone from a person who loves appearances to a person who loves what Christ has done for us, who loves the truth of what we are walking in. The love of Christ controls us. 
Paul says, you may look at my life and say, that's not what an apostle should be. That's not what success looks like. But Paul looks back at his life and says, that is the love of Christ controlling me. That is the love of Christ compelling me to move forward in what he has called me to move forward with, despite the appearances and despite the boasting of others. The love of Christ controls us. He says, we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, we've gone from living for appearances to living for the one who gave his life for us. And, and the only way that we can respond to a God who has taken on flesh and given his life for us is to give our lives back to him. The only true recognition of what Jesus has done in us and done for us is by laying our entire lives down for him. People ask the question sometimes about giving, and we'll actually talk about giving explicitly later in 2 Corinthians, but they ask the question about giving. Should I give 10% or like, like should I give 10% on the gross of what I make or should I give 10% on the net of what I make uh, or, you know, or should I give like, is it okay to give 5% since like, you know, I've got a big family and I need to take care? What's the right percentage I should give of the money that I get? The Bible doesn't really explicitly give us that, I don't think, as, as a Christian. In the Old Testament, there is a precedent for a tithe, which was a tenth, and, and we have built on that. And it, I think it is good wisdom uh, to base it somehow on that. But that's not what we're called to. We're called to give all of ourselves. I mean, it's right here. We've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him and for their sake, who for their sake died and was raised. You know, the old man living for appearances, lived for all the things he could store up for himself. That's how I lived. I lived as a man who could store up all for myself. And now, everything I have is for the Lord. Everything. My car. My car is for the Lord. I mean, the reason I have my car is for the Lord. I use my car for the Lord. I actually make decisions about how to, which car to take, for the Lord. I want to maximize that asset for what God has called me to do and be in this time. Everything we have, we ought to have unto the Lord and give unto Him. It is not a portion of our lives that we have given to the Lord. It is the fullness of our lives that we have given to the Lord. That means our abilities, our time, our finances, our relationships, every opportunity that we've been given, we give to the glory of God. No longer for ourselves and for our comfort and for our appearances, but rather for God. 
What he has given to you is a responsibility he has given to you to act in glorifying him. So we've been given a new motive in our living. We no longer live for the love of appearances. We now live for the love of truth. And now we've also been given a new message. We've been given a new message. You can look around at our world and see the message that is proclaimed by, by everyone um, building their own kingdoms, building their own things. Uh, the fact is, the message that is given in our world is a temporary message. It's a message that will fade away, that will turn to dust, that will fall. And, you know, truthfully, there are many of those messages that I've bought into and I, I enjoy and I take part in. Let me give you an example. There's many examples. I mean, you could go on and on with this. But for me, one of those examples is Oklahoma State sports. You guys know that well. You know me well. OSU sports. I love OSU sports. And I love their message, and I love what they're doing. I love watching. I, you know, did you guys know that they were in the NCAA wrestling championships last night? Yeah, they were. They got second, which is actually a failure for us because we usually, like, first is really the goal in all things with, with wrestling. But I'm into that message. I, I love it. I enjoy it. But the truth of it is, that's a, that's a worldly message. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fade away. It's going to turn to dust. It's not going to exist. That's one for me. I mean, Sam likes music, right? Love music. Like, you jam out and love it, right? Those guys building their musical kingdoms. You love music too, right, bro? Like, you guys are building their musical kingdoms. You know, we love their message and we love their, you know, the riffs they do and all this stuff. You know what? It's going to fade away. The kingdoms they built and the message they were proclaiming, it's going to fade. It's going to turn to dust. It's okay to enjoy it and, and you know, you've got to have some wisdom, but um, it's okay to enjoy some temporary kingdoms and to, and to understand their messages. There's a message I was excited about this week that, you know, our, our bluff here is getting improved. They're changing some laws in the city of Clearwater to improve our bluff. That's a great thing. We should rejoice. That's, that's fabulous. But you know what? That's still a temporary message. It's a temporary message that will fade away. So what I want to say to you is that not that those things are bad or, uh, or evil things. I don't think that's what I want to get at with you. It's that we have to recognize that these things will pass away. And the truth is the old man, the old creation, the only thing that old man knew the old me, the old you, the only thing he knew was a hope in these temporary things. If your hope is in the message of a politician or in the message of, uh, of a city that is improving its infrastructure or of a musician that is improving his dominance in the world of music or his, uh, or his niche, whatever he's doing, or if you're your hope and your life is caught up in Oklahoma State sports and that alone, it's empty. If that's all you're living for, are these little temporary messages that will fade? You can hear me. I'm not saying that they're evil to enjoy or, or you know, 
you should never go to a baseball game, or you should never listen to a concert, or you should never go enjoy the park. We did that last Sunday. You, you know, it's not that we shouldn't enjoy these things, but if that is where your hope is at, it's on shaky ground, and it's going to fade to dust. And the fact is, many of us place our hope in, those, in such things. If my hope is in this building right here, you know, we put a lot of work in this building already, and we've got a lot of work to do still. But if my hope is in this building, not enough to hope in. There's got to be something more. And there is. There is something more. God has given us a new message, and everything we do ought to be colored by this new message. He says in verse 16 to 21 again, he says this, For now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. You see, they they saw Christ walk the earth, and then Christ died, and then he rose again, and they realized that he was bigger than just this body that was doing these great miracles on the earth, that he was actually God like he said he was, that he conquered death and the grave. They regard him no longer according to the flesh. They enjoyed what they saw in the flesh and the miracles and the things that he was accomplishing. They enjoyed that. Nothing in comparison to his defeat of death on the cross and his rising again, which we'll celebrate next week. They regard him no longer according to the flesh. They once regarded him that way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you have placed your faith in Jesus' message, in Jesus' life, in Jesus' saving act, if you have trusted him as Lord and Savior, the old things have passed away and a new creation is born. New desires, new motives, a new message to live by has been given to you, a new mission, a new measure of success has been given to you. You're a new creation. What is old has passed. What is new is here. Paul goes on to say, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the message he's given us. This is, the, this is the current wonder of God's program of restoring this world unto himself. Is that he came, he died, he rose, and he gave this kingdom to a bunch of fools who had to depend on him to run this thing. He gave this ministry to a bunch of broken fishermen and tax collectors to proclaim throughout the world. He gave it to an accountant. He gave it to an optech. He gave it to all of us. This ministry of reconciliation. He gave us a new message to live by. And that message is this, that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. 
God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We've got to let that reality sit on us sometimes that the ministry of reconciliation is, is God making his appeal through you to the world. That you are called to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation. This is a call to everybody. If you are a Christian, if you have been called to Christ, you have placed your faith in Jesus, you're a minister. You've been given a ministry of reconciliation. Every believer has been given that ministry. Not just pastor. He has entrusted us all with the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. Why would he do that? Because each of us is a testimony of what God can do. Each of us is a testimony that as far gone as we've been in our lives, that there is hope for us and that God is there to restore us. His appeal through us is saying, look, I will make this broken creation, this lump of clay that has been busted to pieces, I will reform it and reshape it, that it will be new, and that it will give me glory. What once was dead and gone and left is now true and beautiful and lovely. God makes his appeal through us, broken jars of clay, broken vessels, people who have walked through temptations and walked through sin themselves willingly. I'm speaking for myself there. And he has changed them and given them a new motive, a new message in life. This is the glory of what God has done in Christ, verse 21. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin. When he did not know sin. When he knew no sin. So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin for us. When Jesus knew no sin. You hear someone say, Jesus is a great teacher. <laughs> He's a really good teacher. You know, he did a lot of good for the world. Just... Actually, if you examine that, <laughs> I mean, 
He did do a lot of good, and we have a lot of record of that. But if you're looking at just the acts that he accomplished, I mean, at the end of his life, there are 12 disciples, and there are 100 or 200 people, between 100 and 200 people, that really believed his message. Did he change the world? He did. Not denying that, but the world likes to look at Jesus and say, he's a great teacher, he did a lot of good things. If you're looking at just the things he accomplished in the physical, there's a small corner of the Mediterranean world in a, a, a globe that is vastly larger than that. Right? If you're examining it on just the physical, of the, the actual actions that he accomplished, there was so much more to be done, right? So he's not, it's not about Jesus being a good teacher. It's about what he do, did about our sin. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. This is what Jesus accomplished. This is the work of the gospel. That he who knew no sin took my sin. That I might stand righteous before God. If we don't stand in awe of that, then we don't understand it. If we don't receive that truth and then turn and give our entire lives to, to the gospel, to the message of Jesus, to the ministry of reconciliation, <clears throat> We probably don't understand it. We probably don't understand it. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If I understood the depth of that, and I'm preaching to myself right now, I need to understand the depth of that. As we grow in understanding that, our lives will change. We will go from loving appearance to loving the truth. We will go from a message of a temporary kingdom to a message of an eternal kingdom that has transformed our lives and by God's appeal through us will change many lives if we are only willing to give our lives to it. God has initiated. God has stepped in. God has thrown down the gauntlet. He has dropped the mic. He has come to us, and he has done what we could not do for ourselves, and then he has given it to us to move forward with. 
We are the righteousness of God. We stand in Him complete. And we have been given the ministry of reconciliation that this world would know His love. Let's pray. God, we thank You for this day that You've given us, and we thank You for just the opportunity to to celebrate who You are and what You've done to declare that you are our King, that you are our Lord and our Savior, that it is in you that we hope, that it is in you that we seek refuge. God, we thank you that you weren't just a good teacher, that you weren't just another man, but that you were God, that you came and died for us gave your life for us, God. Help us to live worthy of that. Help us to stand in the righteousness you purchased for us on the cross. God, I thank you that the old man is dead. I thank you that the old man is dead that I am no longer that man, but that I am a new creation, that I stand complete and righteous in you, God. Thank you for that. Thank you that that is a testimony of every Christian. Who has truly placed their faith in you, that has the guarantee of that by your spirit, Lord, that it can declare that. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Something has changed. I thank you for that, God. Lord, I pray that you would be honored this week, that you would allow this to sink in, God, that as we celebrate Easter next week, as we celebrate the risen Lord that we would be raised with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.